You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. I don't feel like I live it out as good as I should, though. I can be honest with you. Well, good morning. I have a couple quick announcements as well. Ron and Annette, pastors Ron and Annette, they send their love because they are out of town. Uh, they are... The circumstance is a little bit different, but they are celebrating the life of Annette's sister, Holly, who passed away earlier this summer, and so they're at her memorial uh, with their family this weekend, just really honoring her sister and the life that she lived. So we, if you think of Ron and Annette and Annette's family, just be praying for them as they're still grieving, and as this is a good time for them to come together and uh, celebrate that. So uh, be praying for them. The second is this. We have one big uh, thing I want to mention here now today, this morning, and you won't hear about it for a while, but I want you to hear about it now so you can start thinking and praying about it. And this is for the men in the room, all right? Men, there is a men's ministry event coming this October on October 27th. Come on, guys. Let's go. Come on. Give it up. It's been too long. It's been a long time. I know. It's been a while, but we are getting back. We're getting together, and we're going to start having men's ministry events and men's ministry opportunities moving forward. But we wanted you to know about October 27th. It's going to be a really fun night. Um, There will be registrations that are coming October 1st, uh, but this is a free event. But men, we want you to register online because we want to ask you a few questions. We want to get to know what you need as men. We want to know, we want to get to know what you want (laughs) as men. And we want to actually find ways that we want to hear about some of your skills because one of the things that we want to do is equip the, not only the people, but especially also the men of Canby Foursquare Church to be serving in our community as well. We want to make sure we're living up to that standard as men who love others and lead others really well. And so this event is coming on the 27th. It's a Friday night. Um, Ron will be speaking at it. It'll be a lot of fun. You won't hear about it for a few more weeks, but we want you guys to start thinking and praying about this now. So it's on your radar, men. It's that Friday before we get into like the Halloween week next the next week. So be thinking about this night and don't make any plans on the 27th of October. I mean it. You think I'm joking? Don't. This is for all men too, not just the young guys. Uh, but I want to ask you. I want to start off this morning by asking a question. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15. Uh, how many of you have ever been so sure of something you were like willing to stake your reputation on it, or you're willing to just go to bat for this fact, or you are willing to get into an argument per se? for the, the sake of being right about something. None of us have ever probably done that before. I know I haven't. Um, but for instance, I'll give you like, and, uh, and honestly, like we've all been wrong before. So let's just, let's break that ice right now. Um, for instance, I love my wife dearly, more than anything in this world, you can say. She's very intelligent, way smarter than I am. She like, she reads lots of books. She can read a book in a day. We were, took a week off uh, in August, and she literally, I think she read three books in the span of a week while we were off, still taking care of our children. And she is incredibly smart, um, and she's, though she's perfect in like almost every way, sometimes she's, she can be wrong. And she's watching online right now because our daughter is not feeling great this morning, and so I hope she's listening. We uh, had a conversation early in our relationship. I don't believe we were married yet, but we were reading something, and Uh, aloud together, we were reading something, and the word debris came up. Uh, And I read the word debris, spelled D-E-B-R-I-S, and she was like, no, that word is Debris. 
And I said, no, that's, that's debris, honey. Like, that's, that's yard debris, like, or, you know, like a debris bin. Like, that's debris. And sh- this might have been our first fight. I don't know. But she was like, no, that, that's Debris. And I was like, and I literally had to say, like, it came to an end. I was like, what is Debris? Define Debris. And she's like, uh, isn't it? And I was like, no, okay, because it's debris. I'm right here. This is the word debris. It was the one time I think I've ever outsmarted her in my life. But she was willing to go and go and go. And like, no, I know that it's because she, read, she reads tons of books and she's read a lot of books growing up. And she would always just read that word in a book and sound it out like we're supposed to. And it would say Debris instead of debris like it's actually pronounced. Uh, honey, I love you. I was right. <laughs> this one time though. But it's a little embarrassing, right? When you, when you, think, you're, you, you think more than on a shadow of a doubt that you're so right, only to find out that maybe you actually had it wrong, right? It can be embarrassing. It can be hard. And in Acts chapter 15, we find a situation where we have two groups of people who are at different sides of a uh, disagreement and have to come together. What we find is this is Acts chapter 15. We find the old ways before Jesus meeting the new ways after Jesus, coming together and having, to, having friction, having disagreements and having discussions and trying to figure out where do we go from here? We have a, it's a beautiful picture of the old and the new coming together and moving forward together. I love this, I love this part. So Acts 15 is where the early church, they come together to form an agreement of what people must do once they come to faith and accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, and it's actually, this is called the Council of Jerusalem. It's the first, like, great gathering of church leaders in the early church. There's many other church councils that come together throughout human history as well. Like, the next big one is the Council of Nicaea. Um, there's a council, there's just, there's, uh, I think that there's at least 10 that I can think of, but I don't want to name them all right now, is they, they, they have this council and they talk about what they're supposed to do here in Jerusalem about what's next. And actually, I want to show you, this is after Paul's first missionary journey. So there's a picture on the screen here which shows you Paul and Barnabas, where they went, uh, how they got there, where they went, and then how they took their track back. And on this missionary journeys in chapters 13 and 14, we see that Paul and Barnabas brought uh, completely new ideas to people they encountered. They visit Cyprus, they visit Pisidian, they visit Lystra, they visit Derby, they visit Iconium, then you see their track, and then they, they kind of come back the same way they left. And they re- they, they're sent out from Antioch, and they come back to Antioch. And you find this in Acts thir- chapters 13 and 14. Uh, we're not going to discuss them this morning. I encourage you to go back and read them because a lot of amazing things happen on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. But we bring this up because as they're doing this, as they're out spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are saving Jews, and they are saving Gentiles, non-believing Non-Jewish people come to faith in Jesus because of this first missionary journey. It's probably one of, it's the one first like great, you know, uh, evangelistic mission that the church makes. And Paul and Barnabas, they save, they establish churches, they do amazing works in the Holy Spirit, they heal people, uh, and they come back and they start sharing the stories in Antioch of all the amazing things that God and His Holy Spirit had done. And news spreads that this is what has happened, and it causes some people to get a little upset. And so once back, some believers from Jerusalem make sure, want want to make sure that the new believers, the new converts to Christianity have been following their expectations for salvation. 
not the expectations, but their expectations. They travel roughly 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch to make sure that new believers are living up to their standards. This is what happens in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. We see this is following the missionary journey. Some believers from Jerusalem come, and it says this, certain people came from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, these men who came from Jerusalem went all the way, up, all the way to Antioch to make sure that new believers were following the law of Moses, including circumcision. And we see this inevitable clash of the old ways versus the new, like we talked about. This clash where one group states you have to follow the complete and extended law of Moses and have faith in Jesus to be saved, right? You have to essentially, you have to go through the process spiritually and ceremonially to become a Jew, to also be saved, where the other group is stating that grace through Jesus is the only way to be saved. See, Jesus Christ came to bring grace because no one can live up to the standards set forth by the law of Moses. We see this throughout scripture, and we actually see that the standards that Jesus himself set in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses, uh, chapter 5, verses chapter 7, we see that Jesus sets these unrealistic but and, and impossible standards for salvation, that Jesus is saying, even if you have anger in your heart towards a brother or a sister, that's just the same as murdering them. And this standard of don't murder to now, you can't even be angry with people. It's the same thing. Jesus wanted people to know that it wasn't just you have to live a certain way. It's, it's a heart issue that God was after. Only Jesus could be perfect. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 says, it says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. It's not justification through works, church. It's justification through faith. So we see that Jews from Jerusalem have come and began to teach that unless new believers, even Gentile, non-Jewish believers, come under the law of Moses, they can't be saved. There's no salvation for them unless they continue, or unless they, they decide to submit to their standards. And that includes circumcision. Could you imagine, though, if you've been told everything about Jesus? Maybe you're in Derby, and you just heard about Paul and Barnabas, about the salvation that comes through Jesus, and you were used to having to go to a temple and sacrifice and do all these things, and you had to do all these works, and to serve a God you had never seen before or never experienced before. And then Paul and Barnabas come in, and they tell you about the God of heaven and earth who sent his son Jesus to die for your sins, and they want that, and they accept that. And then only for that to be you know, moments later be told, but no, actually you have to go back to all of these works again. All that freedom that they must have, ex they were experiencing in that moment must have felt really daunting and really like this, this, this new faith in God that we've just been introduced to is just like every other one we've heard about before. <clears throat> Here's the church's response in Antioch. This is what Paul, like, and Paul, if you've read some of Paul's writings, you know he's a pretty passionate guy. This is what happens. It says in verse uh, 2, um, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and they, as they traveled for, through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how Gentiles had been converted 
This news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. See, we see a sharp disagreement between the Jews who came from Jerusalem and Paul and Barnabas, and this disagreement is just another, yet another turning point in the book of Acts. We, the early church was figuring it out as they went, and as thankfully we have the about 2,000 years worth of history to like lean our doctrine and our church beliefs and the way we run church nowadays on, but they were still figuring it out as they went, and Acts chapter 15 is yet another turning point in the early church where they had to figure something out. They had to make a choice, they had to go in a direction, and they had to listen to the Holy Spirit about what that direction was. And in this instance, they, they can't come overcome this disagreement. And so they go down to Jerusalem to solve it. And notice how in, in Antioch, it's not, um, well, that's good for you, you can believe that way, and we will believe this way. Now, you can, you can come on the law of Moses, you can say that's how you get saved, that's fine, and we'll say that it's through grace, and that's fine. There is no, you're right, we're right, we'll just go our separate ways. It is, there is a sharp disagreement because this is over one of it is the most foundational aspect of our faith. The, there, are, there are a lot of non-essentials in church, right? Um, this was an essential. Some of the non-essentials like is how we worship on the stage or what kind of coffee we serve on Sunday mornings, you know, or um, how, how we shake people's hands. I don't know. There are lots of non-essentials in church that are not foundational to our faith, right? But this right here is the most important essential. And it, sound, this is, it sounds like this. This is how you answer this question. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's it. Faith in Jesus and nothing else is the definition of essential. And I love this. Foursquare actually has uh, a great saying for this that was stated by our, the founder of our church movement and our church denomination, Amy Sipple McPherson. She said, in the essentials, unity, and in the non-essentials, liberty. And I love this because it, what it's stating is the things that matter, the things that are really important, like our faith is grounded in Jesus Christ through faith by grace, we're going to be unified as a church. Amen? That's the most important thing. And in the non-essentials, we can let those go, and we don't have to have sharp disagreements on those. You can be pre-trib, post-trib, whatever you want in the end times of the book of Revelation. It's not affecting your faith. You can believe that we need to have a, like a drummer every Sunday or it's not true worship because you don't feel the music. I don't know. But it doesn't affect your faith, right? These things, these non-essentials that don't affect your faith, you can have opinions on and we can disagree on and that's okay. But we can't disagree on the most foundational essential. Acts chapter 15 verse 5 says this. So, Paul and Barnabas have gone on their victory tour, right, where they, they go from Antioch to Jerusalem. That's the only way I can describe it, because they, as they're going from Antioch to Jerusalem, they share all that God has done through the lives of the Gentiles, and everyone's like, that's amazing, what great stories, and Paul, I, I'm sure Paul and Barnabas were pretty humble about it, but every now and then, I'm sure they're also like, yeah, that's pretty cool, we did that. Did you hear about that? And in Acts 15, verse 5, they, these stories that led to all this comes to a head once they reach Jerusalem and they're gathered together, and it says this, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. They, they were serious. This wasn't like a, we're going to send them to Antioch and make sure they're doing it there. This is, they, they've come to Jerusalem, and now this group of believers have said, no, we're going to speak up first. We're going to voice our opinions first. 
we're going to get jump out of the gate and say that this matters. This has to be done. And we, we, this is the statement that set all of this in motion. Jews who were former Pharisees state that non-Jewish believers must now become Jews. These Pharisees are the same religion-obsessed people who have always had honor based on the hard works that they put in to follow the full law of Moses. I, I don't necessarily blame them. I'm glad that, you know, they at least were voicing their opinion in a, like in a way, in, the, in a council meeting of the church. But if you, if you had put a ton of work into something, to build it up, to make it, and you've made it great, and this is what you've, many people have believed for a long time, and your whole life was built on these works and the honor you got and the love and praise you got from others around you for doing these works, and then someday those were all taken from you and said, those don't matter anymore. You might be a little upset or confused. And I love that the church didn't just shun this question. The church didn't just push this away. They came together and they talked about it. They, they resolved this. See, the hard work and works-based system they believed in was broken from the very beginning and was broken again on the cross. Whether they knew it or not, these Pharisees, these Jewish Pharisees who had come to faith in Jesus, they needed to be set free from the system that the Gentiles needed to be set free from their sin. These Pharisees did not want to let go of the status they had because of their works because they liked it. Okay, and this is the response. In Acts chapter 15, starting verse 7, it says, after they, they, they go together, they talk about it a lot, and it says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Okay, so the early church, the, the leaders are pretty excited about the stuff that God's done through them, and they want to share it. I'll give them that. That's fun. God knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through grace, through our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. Imagine the controversial statement Peter just made. I'm going to finish this in a second. But Peter is saying that Gentiles, whom the Jews believed as ceremony unclean, not worthy to set foot in the temple, not worthy to even really be associated with or marry with, Peter just claimed were just like they are. This was unheard of in this time period. It says, the whole assembly became silent as they listened then to Paul and Barnabas telling about the signs and wonders God had done through and among the Gentiles, through them. The church leadership speaks up. They have had time to debate what is right, and they, they decide that they send out Peter, who's a trusted voice among the whole assembly, and speaks out in favor of grace. And thank God he did. He even used Cornelius' family, the Roman centurion from Acts chapter 12 we heard about a few weeks ago, as an example that, hey, this guy, he was saved, his whole family was saved, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit in that moment, and they were baptized in water before they did anything to join and come under the law of Moses. If anything, that is, a, that is an example in itself that you don't have to come under the law of Moses to experience all of this, because he didn't. The assembly is silent. 
And I'll say, this didn't go the way that the certain Jews who came to Antioch thought it might. I'm sure they thought from like foundationally to their core that they were right and that they were going to win this debate. But you see, it was grace that set Christianity apart from every other religion that had ever come before it and frankly, that has ever come after it. God had done something new. And he, he, he's pretty good at that. He does things new pretty frequently in our lives. Like he, we experience the newness of God almost every single, I'd say every day. And he did something new. And the system of salvation through grace was a brand new idea when the early church began to preach it and teach it. It was hard to understand. And I'd say it's, it's still hard to understand. We still have churches today preaching about works needed for salvation or things that you have to do. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, church says this, For it was by grace you have been saved, through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works that no one can boast. No one, not even Pastor Ron, love you, Ron, no one will be able to stand before God in heaven and say, I earned my spot here, except Jesus. Jesus, who was perfectly 100% man, 100% God, can say, I earned my spot here, but guess what? The spot I learned here, I'm giving to you. James, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, then gets up and uh, delivers the action steps, okay? Like, what do we do next, right? Church, okay, where are we going from here? I love, this is why I love James, because he straights the point. He, he like, this is what we're going to do. It says in Acts, uh, starting in verse 19, he says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat that was strangled, animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and has read in synagogues on every Sabbath. And he, what he's saying in this statement is he's saying, even non-Jews... The Gentiles that we've been rescuing, we've been saving through salvation in Jesus, would know that these are important things that are important to us. And notice that this verse does not state that any of these things are necessary for salvation. James doesn't say, we're going we're to tell them that they need to abstain from all these things so that they may be saved. He just says, let's write to our churches, let's tell them to abstain from these things as well on top after they are saved, because this would be good practices not necessities. These are recommendations. Big difference here. Um, We have so much to learn from this time period. The early church in Acts gives us countless blueprints on how to deal with modern day problems in a Holy Spirit way. So this morning, we're going to look at three, we're going to wrap up by looking at kind of three things we can learn from Acts chapter 15 this morning. And the first would be this, uh, is this is in the words of Ron himself. Again, I kind of keep bringing Ron up. Sorry, Ron. You're probably... You're like, even when I'm not there, I'm there. There's this. First, keep the main thing the main thing. And I say this at the beginning because if you do this, you don't really struggle with the other two things we're going to talk about this morning. So if you're like, I've got it, you can take your nap. If you got this first one, you're good. But this is, the, this is point, though, is straight from Ron. He has said this since the very beginning of his time here. It's been one of, like, it's, I think the most consistent thing he has said is that we keep the main thing the main thing here at Canby Foursquare. The main thing is Jesus. If we keep him at the center, then we don't need to worry about stumbling on the next two things I'm going to say, all right? And I, I liken it to like this. It's a, an example I can use is it's almost like a free throw in basketball. 
Um, if you, like Damian Lillard, who's one of my favorite players, which if you know what's going on with the Trailblazers right now, we're not even sure if he's going to be in Portland this season. But he has one of the best free throw percentages since he entered the NBA. He has one of the, his career free throw percentage is insane. It's almost 90%. That means like nine, almost nine out of every 10 free throws he shoots, he makes. So if he gets fouled, it's, a, it's basically almost a guaranteed two points for the Trailblazers. And losing that, it's going to hurt us a lot. But he, he talks about why he's so good at free throws is because when he was younger, he learned to tone out all the noise, to get rid of all the noise, to get rid of all the distractions. When taking that shot, you wa- and if you watch him shoot it, he doesn't do anything special or crazy. He flips the ball in his hand, he, ex- he exhales, and he shoots the ball. Because he has found the, the way to eliminate distractions, eliminate the noise, and stay focused on what his target is. And imagine like if we viewed our faith or if we viewed our relationship with God of like that as there's a lot going on around us. We might be anxious or stressed or there, we all have stuff going on in our lives right now, I'm sure. But if we could learn to exhale, take a deep breath and just refix our eyes on Jesus, the things we struggle with well, we won't struggle with as much. The things that are uh, pulling us away from God won't pull us away from God as often because our eyes are fixed on him and we have kept him at the center and we've eliminated the noise. You do that by being in your word, spending time in prayer, spending time in meditation and quietly listening for God's voice. You do that by having conversations about Jesus out loud with other people in the community. There's many ways to keep the main thing, the main thing being Jesus in your life. But doing that will help you through the things the other two things we're going to talk about right now. And the second one would be this, is that pride keeps us from coming together. I want to say really quick, in Acts 15, we, we see the saved Pharisees choose a different path from the Pharisees who chose to crucify Jesus. I, this is, it's, it's great to see that they accepted faith in Jesus and they were already being refined and transformed from the ways that they were before. Before, their pride forced them to crucify Jesus. But now in, the, in these Pharisees, they had let go of some of their pride in the sense that they were willing to be convinced of something that they believed in so deeply. Because before, they believed that Jesus Christ was not the Messiah. He was someone there to stir up problems, and they had to get rid of him. And no matter how many miracles he did, or how many great things, or how loving Jesus was, they were going to get rid of him no matter what. But in this instance... In the early church, these former Pharisees were willing to let go of that tunnel vision and their pride and say, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say, and I'm willing to let the Holy Spirit convict me. But in the lives of these Pharisees, we see that change of heart. They did not let their pride stop them from coming together. They may have let their pride push them beyond maybe where they should have gone, but they did not let their pride get in the way of coming together and, and finding a solution. We, didn't, we did not see a church split in Acts chapter 15. We saw a church come together stronger than before. We saw a church come together on mission together. We saw a church that now was being used 100, like to the 100% of its potential because all of its members were on mission with one goal to remember nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And everything else just kind of is added to it, but not for the sake of salvation. 
It doesn't say that they came, that they couldn't come to agreement. It actually says the opposite. And the final verse we're going to read this morning in Acts is this. It says in 22, then the apostles and elders with, with the whole church, not some of the church, not with the Pharisees choosing to leave, but the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. And I'm going to skip the letter because it just sums up what we've already said. The whole church was in agreement and they decided on what was right and good and they went forward together. Okay, I love this. Like there's no miracle in this chapter really stated, but this, like miracles do happen. People can come to an agreement, especially in the church, and we can move forward together. Church splits are terrible. They are tragic. And I don't, I, it, it breaks my heart to hear when a church splits in two because they couldn't come to an agreement. And usually it's on non-essential things. I'm grateful that the first church did not split on this essential fact. The last thing this morning would be this, is that acceptance or salvation is not based on our own personal preference. This is something we need to really, really take to heart from learning from the Pharisees who chose to accept a different way, a new way. The old way they realized wasn't good. The old way they realized did not work as well. They realized the old way, actually the new way came to fulfill the old way and provide a way to walk into the new way. That was probably confusing, I'm sorry. Um, We as a church though, as a movement of God's Holy Spirit are not the ones who decide how someone's worldview, how they look, how they act, or even how they talk dictate whether they can be saved or not. Acceptance into God's kingdom and salvation is for all. Okay. It's for all sinners or it's for no sinners. I was talking with like a, someone who had recently come to Jesus um, and he started dropping swear words. And immediately I thought, oh my gosh, how could he be? And I had to check myself and my Holy Spirit to say, I don't care. He's got the love of Jesus growing inside of him and he's on a process and I love it. That got me excited about what God was going to do, and if anything else, let me give you a few examples here. We can't say to a person walking into the church that they are not allowed to lie if they want to be saved or if they are saved currently, because even we don't do that. Even we don't do that. We can't say to a person walking into the church that they must be dressed a certain way if they want to be saved or if they are currently saved. We can't say to a person walking into the church that they must be a specific political party to be saved, or if they are saved. That's a divisive one, I know. But that's, your political leaning is not necessary for salvation, is it? We can't tell an LGBTQ whatever plus person that they are not saved or can't be saved because of choices they have made or choices they are making right now. We cannot dictate salvation to people based on what they look like, they talk like, they act like, or even, I'll say, what they smell like. Grace is either for everyone or it's for no one. The Pharisees are trying to force new believers to look a certain way and appear a certain way, think a certain way, act a certain way, but the Bible is clear in Romans 10, 9, that this is the way. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the way. And I'm grateful that that's the way. Because if it added other things to that, I'm not sure I could live up to it. Just as salvation is not based on anything we can dictate, the same goes for acceptance. 
and accepting people and loving people. We are called to accept people no matter what they like, look like, talk like, smell like. There's a book called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness written by a former pastor named Jerry Cook. He was the pastor of East Hill Fort Square Church here in Gresham, actually. And he wrote a book, this book called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness on what we are to do as Christians and as believers in Jesus and how we should approach the world. And it's, if you've never read it, I firmly recommend it. But there's a story in the early chapters of his book as he's setting up his points of what love, acceptance, and forgiveness looks like. And their church had been growing for a long time, and they had also been purchased new buildings and done amazing things, and then also, they also had saved a lot of money because carpet's expensive. I don't know if you know this. And they had recarpeted the entire church, and everyone was really excited about the new look of the church. And then they started having people who did not maybe match the new look of the church walk in people who didn't smell as good, people who didn't dress as good. Um, you could even say, so homeless people began to come in, and they had a church meeting, a church council meeting with Jerry, and they said, we got it. We have to do something. We have to tell them they need to come in cleaner because they're ruining our new carpet. They're, they're messing up the new carpet. And this is why I love this book, and I love Pastor Jerry, because his response immediately says, his response was, okay, this Sunday, I want everyone to come to church dressed in work clothes. I want everyone to bring your tools. And I want everyone to come ready to serve. And the council's like, okay, cool, what are we doing? This is exciting. And he said, we're going to rip up the new carpet. And he said to his council, if we're going to tell people they have to change the way they come into our church because of a new carpet, I don't want it. I don't want that carpet if it's going to stop people from finding Jesus Christ as their Savior. And this is what he says. He says, when love, acceptance, and forgiveness prevail, the church of Jesus Christ becomes what Jesus was in the world, a center of love designed for healing of broken people and a force for God. Those are Jerry Cook's words. When you look at someone, do you see what the world sees or do you see what Jesus sees? Why would we put expectations on believers that we ourselves aren't capable of keeping ourselves? It's important to remember that we are all broken, and some people may appear more broken than others, but we are all the same in God's eyes. We are all broken. We are excited to invite others to be part of what we're doing here at Canby Forestwood Church. I love it. I love this church. We're an open, we're a diverse, we're a church community that loves to live in step with what Jesus has asked us to do, and that's, he has asked us to be a movement of love, because God's love is not selective. We are, a center, uh, we are the center of love designed for healing and making disciples who make more disciples of Jesus. That's the call of our church. And we don't do that by being selective. We don't do that by telling people they need to fit a certain mold. We make disciples of Jesus who make more disciples of Jesus by being an example of brokenness, by being an example of love, by being an example of what grace looks like. So I want to say some things this morning. We invite you to join us as our church walks through a discussion on identity here in the coming weeks. We invite you to join us next Sunday as we baptize those excited about their faith, taking the next steps in their faith. I mean, come on, we actually, I want to, we invite you to come and be baptized if you have not been before. There's still time. That's next Sunday. There's plenty of time. You can sign up or you can show up Sunday and say, I want to get in that pool. We invite you to come and engage in what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and be baptized next Sunday. We invite you to accept someone who you have perhaps overlooked recently. We invite you to have an honest conversation with the Holy Spirit about where your pride has pulled you away from your discipleship process. 
And we invite you to bring Jesus into the center of your life like I struggle and everyone else struggles to do on a daily basis. Church, these are, this is, the, this is the, what the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 set us up to do. We can learn so much from early church leaders' conversation on what do we do next. Church, what do we do next? The answer is simply just to go out and love people. We invite you to be a part of that mission. We invite you to be a part of what the church is doing right now in our community. If you're not already, knock on your neighbor's door and just let them know that you appreciate that they're there, even if they're loud. <laughs> Find your, 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 your child's new school teacher and let them know how much you appreciate that they're, they're doing a ton of work to help foster and help your child grow. Find your grandchild and tell them how dearly you love them. Find your friend that you haven't talked to with in a long time and restart a conversation again. Find that coworker who bugs you and sit down and let them know, hey, you're valued. There's so many different ways we can love people, church. Um, and it's as easy as just saying, I'm going to do this and making that statement of faith saying, I'm going to love and then going out and doing it. And so this morning, we want, we're going to have prayer teams up front as well. If you want prayer for this week or if you want to be able to walk through this in faith, we love to pray over you and encourage you and send you out to do exactly this this morning. So would you join me as we pray and close our time together? Lord, thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.